we don't look at what the SEO crap is. We don't go, okay, what can we just stuff and artificially inflate and like get on page one just to say we're on page one. We want to find out what the pain points and the needs of the ideal buyers for our clients are, and then align with that and find what's missing. Is there a version of the SEMA gallery missing? Is there a version of a fan site for Andy Baldwin missing? Create that. And so we align the content strategy with whatever the needs of the existing marketplace are. You know your business can change people's lives, but you don't yet have the right words to inspire them to take action. Imagine the changes you will create in your business when you tap into the secrets of ethical influence and positive persuasion to not only better serve your clients, but also to supercharge your financial freedom. I'm your host, Jason Lynette, and welcome to the Hypnotic Language Hacks podcast. I help coaches and course creators just like you to close more premium sales. And no, this isn't about tricking or manipulating people. Not at all. It's about helping your prospects to appropriately sell themselves into your products or services. Please hit subscribe and get all the episodes now at jasonlinette.com. Hey, let's take a moment and talk about flexibility because to be successful as a business owner, in fact, you know what? Let me go ahead and already edit that. To be successful as a human being, flexibility is an absolutely essential skill. In fact, inside of the various hypnotic language patterns and principles that I share with people, coaches and course creators looking to level up their business with premium sales, one of the mindsets would be that whoever is the most flexible in their communication drives the communication. That sounds a little esoteric. Let's simplify it. Whoever can exercise the most flexibility in how they communicate with others is the one in that party who now has the opportunity to become even more positively influential towards a common shared goal. Now, that's a principle that you don't necessarily have to always believe is true. But if you operate as if it were true, you find a way out of conflict a whole lot faster than others. And again, you can now direct that path of communication towards a common shared outcome. And on that theme of flexibility, perhaps I should be the one to call out, that we're back. This is episode number 45 of Hypnotic Language Hacks podcast, and this is coming out after about a two-month pause, though I have realized as I'm now saying this that a lot of us podcasters put out programs every single week, and meanwhile, here are television programs that put up 13 episodes and then take nine months off and then come back again. So no, 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 we didn't take a pause, my friends. Season two? Let's go for a reframe, at least to claim that. Though I'll give you some updates. Part of the reason of that pause was twofold. One was for a bit of personal reasons, was that we were in the process of moving. We picked up everything, the family, my wife, our kids, our dogs, our cat, all of our belongings, and we moved from Northern Virginia all the way down to Orlando, Florida. And now we're all settled, and there were a few quirky episodes over the past couple of months where I was recording with decent enough sound in the corner of an Airbnb rental as we rented for like a month on the east coast of Florida. We rented for like a month and a half on the Gulf side before then buying a house here in Orlando. And if you're watching me right now on the jasonlinette.com website for this week's episode release or even watching the video presentation of this on YouTube, check out the home studio behind me. Yes. Spared no expense. Or if you're listening to me on any audio podcast player, um, just use the best of your imagination 
All that matters is that there is a uh, movie poster from Spaceballs, uh, a bobblehead that someone made of me a couple of uh, years back. Um, there is a little ceramic monkey, and um, it's out of frame right now, at least for those of you watching me, a Funko pop head, I think that's what they're called, of Weird Al Yankovic. And every top business and marketing book ever written. You come here for range and variety, I know. And speaking of variety, as I knew we were coming back with this week's episode for number 45, I had it in my head that I wanted to have a good friend on this program to share some of the insights to the work that he does, as well as share some of the insights as to what it takes to really build a scalable business that is creating massive impact in the lives of his clients and people around the world. So I first got to know Damon Burton by appearing on his podcast, which we kind of became instant internet friends uh, because clearly the best thing to do when you're trying to promote a book and you get this great opportunity to go on someone else's podcast is to make fun of the name of their show. Now, not quite making fun. His program is called Learning From Others, to which I then pretended to misread the title. And in our email interchange, I referred to it as Learning Fro Mothers, which would be a great podcast, I'm assuming. And I think Damon would be the man to host it, by the way. And it did kind of become that moment like in uh, the Step Brothers movies with Will Ferrell going, did we just become best friends? And admittedly, this conversation happened, we recorded right after we first met in person this year, 2021 in September. Uh, he had traveled in from Utah. I traveled eight miles down the road because Funnel Hacking Live, the ClickFunnels conference, was right up the road for me and really convenient for me. And he traveled the whole family from Utah. So in this conversation, which we've titled Passion and SEO, you're going to hear the care that he puts into the work that he does. You're going to hear the insights as to why most people kind of miss the mark of what they're attempting to do by hacking into the ideas of search engine optimization, where really at the end of the day, it comes back to a passion of truly serving people. So let me share with you a little bit more about Damon and the work that he does. That over a decade ago, as someone kind of new on the scene, he beat out a billion dollar company by outranking their website on Google. And since then, he knew he was onto something and he's then gone on to build an international search engine marketing company that's worked with everything from small business owners to NBA teams, Inc. 5000 companies, and even some of the featured businesses that you might have seen on Shark Tank. And he started his business at a bit of an interesting time. He started his business right before the 2008 recession. So in the midst of everything we've all been through in the last nearly two years at this point, Damon is familiar with navigating and growing a business through, let's say, difficult times. And never before have there been so many people needing something to focus their attention on, and this is the time to do it. That's where he founded his company, SEO National, back in 2007. He writes for Forbes. He's been published in magazines like Entrepreneur Magazine. He publishes for BuzzFeed and USA Weekly. And he's helped many high-profile clients make more in a month than they used to in a year. As you listen to this conversation that Damon and I have here, I want you to listen for the insights to the care the passion, how it is we can make decisions as to who we work for, as well as a rather intriguing story about turning down a rather 
high-profile company just because it wasn't in alignment with the belief systems of his company. And we also spend some time talking about balancing work as well as family, as well as a social media presence and how the work that he now does on social media has kind of created a bit of an interesting renaissance in his own life and a conversation that also digs into everything from online trolls and beards, as it ought to. So welcome back to the Hypnotic Language Hacks podcast. This is episode number 45. To find the details, the show notes of this episode, head over to jasonlinette.com forward slash 4-5. That's where you'll see all the links to get in contact with Damon Burton and find out even more. So here we go. Let's dive right in. Session number 45, Damon Burton on passion and SEO. Before we get started today, remember this quick website, jasoninfluence.com. Because if you want to easily grab people's attention, naturally build authority, and organically have your prospects wanting more from you, even before you make an offer, I've created a step-by-step -step strategy to help you to do just that. I call it the Video Influence System. And this is your opportunity right now to discover my highly effective, entirely free, on-demand workshop at jasoninfluence.com. It's specifically for coaches and course creators who want to deliver premium value to their clients to receive premium value in return. So if you want a proven framework to boost your confidence and deliver value that inspires people to take action with you, get your free Influence Masterclass online right now at jasoninfluence.com. So we kind of kick off with that origin story in terms of how you discovered what we can now brand as your superpower. Uh, what was that introduction into the online marketing space for you? So my my transition was started from a passion project. Um, uh, as as men in their early twenties often do, they're into cars, and so I had started a, a website called EliteRides.com. Um, there's nothing there now. I still own the domain, but I just kind of archived everything. So I got into it. Um, kind of a couple things happened at the same time. Right. So I was, I was into cars. So think, think fast and furious. It's a, like, I'm embarrassed to say that nowadays, think fast and furious. But. <laughs> so, so I'm editing so I, that. Think fast and furious, but like the first three. Yeah. Like before it got, before it got weird. Um, so, so I started this website and it, it was those kind of cars. It was like turbo Honda civics and things like that. Because when you're in your early twenties, that's the only thing that you can afford that you can kind of trick out. So I started this website and it started gaining a following. And then later that year, Fast and Furious came out. And so then I had started to get a following of a couple hundred people, but then it grew into like thousands. And so I had this, this online community. Now, let me actually take a step back. And, and when I started the website, it was because I was, I was taking a communications class in college. And the professor said, all right, we're going to visit HTML. Before that in high school, they, they'd come out with an HTML program. Like you got to realize that WordPress didn't exist. Dreamweaver didn't exist. And so you had to manually learn code, which nowadays I'm super grateful for because all these programs are super cool, but they don't know if something looks ugly. They just do whatever, but whatever you tell it to by pushing a button. So it's, it's, it's proven really valuable for me to know those, those little tips and tricks by hand nowadays. But at the time it was like, okay, do build a website with the, these minimum requirements. And I got thinking about the amount of time I was going to put into this website, knowing that it would just get wiped off the school server at the end of the semester. And so I went to the professor and I said, can I build it on my own domain? Can I buy a domain, 
put it, do my own thing and let it live on. And he said, yeah, as long as we can see it and critique it, that's fine. So that's when Elite Rides was born. Now, how that transitions into my career in marketing was as it grew, then I said, how do I make this better? And so then I got more into design. And then as the community continued to grow, I said, how do I monetize this? And so that's how I started looking into marketing. And so my first exposure was in AdSense. And then I said, how do I scale this more and get more traffic from search engines? Because Facebook ads didn't exist. PPC was relatively new. And so then I started um, learning by trial and error for for my own benefit to see how things worked. Now, where I started to really see the opportunity was... um, you know, let's, let's go with the second embarrassing story <laughs> or, or, or mention <laughs> is, um, so my wife likes the bachelor, the, you know, the show bachelor, and she'd kind of reel me in on season finales and say, Hey, come watch this with me. And so, so I'd go hang out with my wife and, and from me watching these little season finales, the way they used to end them was, Hey, season's over, come back in a couple of months and see who the new guy is. Well, this year, I want to say it was 2006 or 2007. That year they said, Hey, season's over, but the next guy, his name's Andy Baldwin. I was like, well, that's weird. Why do they talk about who the guy is this time? So even though I wasn't heavily into marketing at that point, I was very analytical. And so I got thinking why there's an intentional reason why they're talking about this guy early and differently. And so I I went and got online and and I I was trying to figure this out. Like, who's this Andy Baldwin guy? Why are they changing their messaging? And I couldn't find nearly anything on this guy. And then, and then that's kind of one of the, one of the first light bulbs went off. And I said, if I don't really care about this guy, just imagine all the people that do, and I can't find anything. So why don't I become that thing? And so I, I said, Hey babe, I'm going to go in here for like 90 minutes and, and started building out a website. And so I created this like fan site for this gentleman. So I found any public information I could, any public pictures I could, and then just organize them and catalog them. And that's what people were looking for is they just wanted a a consolidated location to find out more about this guy. And so within a couple of days, I was outranking ABC, a billion dollar brand for, (laughs) for, for their product. And so then that's when I started taking the concept of SEO seriously. And then I repeated that with a couple other things, um, you know, like a nightlife website, um, I, uh, anybody that's familiar with cars, there's a big convention called SEMA that's in Vegas every year. So I started semagallery.com. Um, very similar reason. I would go because of elite rides to look at cars. I couldn't find, after I left, if you've ever been to SEMA, it's, it's such a cool event. There's just so many cool cars and cool features and aftermarket products. And when you come home, you want to, you want more. And so I said, same thing as with the bachelor guy, I went looking for more and I couldn't find it. So I said, why don't I become that thing? Mm-hmm. And I had taken maybe a hundred pictures. And so I cataloged them. And then the next year I took a thousand pictures and I cataloged them. And within a year I was outranking SEMA for their own show. Um, now fast forward a couple of years and I got a cease and desist from their attorney. <laughs> and um, I, I, I decided, do I want to care or not? And I looked up who their attorney was and he was a former F, uh, F, I don't know if it was FTC or FCC. I can't remember. This was a long time ago. And I said, yeah, I'll, I'll probably take a slap on the wrist on this one and, and move on. <laughs> so, you know, those are some of the stories that just got me into it. And then, you know, maybe I'll take a pause here before we transition into how I formalized that in, into a, an agency, but that's kind of what got me into it. You know, I, I'd ask you off of that. At that point, was there a direct monetary goal or it was just, hey, I figured this mm-hmm. thing out. Let me play with it. Well, with, with SEMA, it was 
more of a personal interest. So mm-hmm. with, with the bachelor guy, I monetized it. I put AdSense on it and, um, you know, that would provide, um, I can't remember the specifics cause this was, you know, 15, 16, 17 years ago, but it was in the thousands of dollars over the weeks that the site, the site was built. Now, now SEMA every time. So SEMA is the first week of November. And so that one was very predictable in the beginning of October, you would just see the traffic go. And then end of October, it would just go and skyrocket. Yeah. And then it, it just hold for like two or three weeks and then it just disappear. So for that, like four to six week window, it was, I'm going to guess it was probably like two to 5,000 bucks in, in ad revenue in that short amount of time, which, which is amazing period, but it's extra amazing when you're in your early twenties and you're making like 12 bucks an hour. And that that was so, a part of it I wanted to highlight though, that it was really just out of that personal passion. It was the, let me figure this thing out. Let me bring a community in to have this conversation with me. And yet by accident, that's what built the skills that's become the foundation for a lot of what you do now. Yeah, exactly. And even now, you know, now it's kind of ironic to look back and go, okay, as, as a early adult, I built a billion dollar, I, I outranked a billion dollar company. Now my clients are billion dollar companies. So it's interesting to see like the evolution of that, but it's still the same byproduct. So I found success in those early examples by finding what people needed mm-hmm. and creating a solution for that. And that's largely what we do now with search engine optimization is we go, okay, we don't look at what the SEO crap is. We don't go, okay, what can we just stuff and artificially inflate and like get on page one, just to say we're on page one. We want to find out what the pain points and the needs of the ideal buyers for our clients are, and then align with that and find what's missing. Is there a version of the SEMA gallery missing? Is there a version of a fan site for Andy Baldwin missing? Create that. And so we align the content strategy with whatever the needs of the existing marketplace are. That's that's really the reason I wanted to have you on here to have this conversation, and I'll I'll make the story brief and leave the names out to protect uh, those not involved with this. <laughs> you probably already know the story. Uh, no, we we reconnected. I've known you. Uh, we've been best friends online for a couple of years now. Um, exactly, and then meeting together at the Funnel Hacking Live conference, I introduced you to someone there who at first was a bit dismissive of the, oh yeah, I've done some SEO work. I've hired that before. Mm-hmm. And you responded with this service-based mentality, not service as in here's a service you provide, though here is a service you provide, but instead the story-based approach as to, well, what are the conflicts that they're facing? And no, it's not just the game of, oh, we just need backlinks, which mm-hmm. Thank you for that. Mm-hmm. <laughs> but really this dialogue as to understanding who that audience is and getting some of those insights. Let, let's continue the story from earlier though. What was that transition out of, let's say, hobby slash passion project into career and then now agency? The the first transition was I was, um, you know, the the friends, neighbors, cousins, whatever that did websites for cheap. You know, we all know somebody that can do websites. And, and so I did that for a while. The audience want to make sure you all heard the air quotes on that. Websites. So, uh, but, but I think the difference in that phase of my career was, was that I acknowledged it, right? I was never out going, I'm the most amazing designer. It, it was always, I can do design, but within this scope. Mm-hmm. And, and so I will, 
um, provide the pricing accordingly on the cheaper end. And, you know, what's interesting is um, right now I'm mentoring my, my wife's nephew. He's 19 and he just got his first $2,500 check from doing a website that he bid at 500 bucks. And what's interesting is, is I, I told him for the last couple of months, do websites for free because you suck and you need to improve your skill set. And there's no better way to improve your skill set by just freaking doing it. And then B, you're going to establish relationships because if you come at people and go, Hey, look, I don't want anything. I just want to help you out, but here's why I just, I just want the experience because the first thing they're going to do is go, yeah, right. What's the catch. But if you say, no, it's just because I need to learn that then they're open to that. And, th- and then they also want you to win. They want to support you. And so he's had a lot of success and uh, relatively speaking in a short amount of time. And so he's doing these websites for 500 bucks because he clearly, well, he did them free for free for however many months. And now I said, okay, you know, enough of a skill set that you can go from the free guy to the cheap guy. So he's out there setting expectations and everything I do, which we might talk about it's set expectations, right? Yeah. And so he sets expectations and, and he's like, Hey, look, I'll, I'll do it for cheap 500 bucks. Um, I can bring this level of skill. Um, I'm not the most amazing. I should probably charge 1500 bucks, but I'm going to charge 500 because I still want more experience. And he just killed it with these guys. And they said, I want to pay you 2,500 bucks. And, and he goes, well, and so he messages me, he goes, what do I say? <laughs> and I say, well, um, come somewhere in the middle, like, Hey, I appreciate the offer. The, the, the expectations I set were 500. So, you know, I'm not going to, I'm not going to invoice you for, for more. If you want to send it, it's certainly appreciative, but certainly not required. Right. So, so come in full circle. Like that's how I approached it when I was in that phase. And I would establish these relationships of doing designs for cheap. And then where I started to transition was um, when I had my day job was taking up 80% of my time, but it was only providing about 50% of my income because I'd built up enough of these side website clients where I said, Hey, you know, this seems like as, as good of a calculated risk I'm ever going to get. Um, my wife and I are newly married. Our only debt is a home and a car. Uh, kids are on the horizon and opportunities and time are not going to become more abundant when, when we have, when we add to the family. So let's put in the work now. Right. And so it sucked to lose that 50% of the income, but what I decided was, can I pay my bills? And the answer was yes. And so that's where I say it was probably as good of a calculated risk as I was going to get. So by freeing up, so I lost 50% of my income, but I freed up 80% of my time. And I was able to make that revenue back within two or three months. Now it wasn't a substantial amount back then, but it was worth the risk. And so that's how I got into it. And then as far as how it scaled into an agency is I've always been okay with delayed gratification. I've never forced myself to go from phase one to phase 10 because there's things within steps two through nine that you might get lucky going from one to 10, but it's, it's pretty unlikely it's going to be sustainable. And so I was always okay. Enjoying I compared to like dating, I, I dated those phases and I, and I said, okay, what do I like about this re- theoretical relationship? Um, what can I take away from learning? Um, so in the first year or two, I was, it was just me, solopreneur. And then I brought in one team member and then years four or five, I, I brought in, you know, five team members and then it was, okay, let's document our processes so we can scale even more efficiently. I could have a whole conversation about documenting processes. And then it went from there to 10 employees to 15. And so as of the time we're recording this in the last nine months, I went from 15 to 60 employees. 
And the only way I could have done that is if I didn't force myself to do it earlier, because now I know how to manage people at scale. Now we have all our processes documented. Now I know how to delegate things. I would have just train wrecked it all if I went from, you know, two to 60, because I wouldn't have had processes. I would ruin the reputation. I wouldn't have been able to fulfill on the contract. And so anticlimactic ending, that's all. No, what's inside <laughs> of that, though, is this roadmap that's something we can model, something we can observe as to, again, starting from hobby, starting from passion project to then reaching that turning point, like so many people who have been sort of that you know side gig type mentality where that's part of my story too, of looking around and going, hey, so I'm working like 60 hours a week doing this job that barely pays me anything. And here's the potential in this part-time thing. If I took the part-time and went full-time, mm -hmm. at that point, I was working in nonprofit arts management, which thankfully was nonprofit for damn near everybody involved. Uh, <laughs> so matching, if not exceeding that income, wasn't too lofty of a goal. So like phase yeah. one was going, hey, look, if I could just beat 22,000 a year, I'm probably not trying um, and then doing better than that. But I, I love what you said, though, about the goal was not necessarily to create this big, massive company. It was by nailing the processes, understanding how to best serve the clients. That's where things were more primed to build. That's where things were more organically grown, would you say? Yeah, and, and, and to add to that, the, the opportunity to grow into a, a respectable size agency is due to the, the passion behind it, right? Because I found something through that dating process of the career of my career, I said, okay, this is one that I can marry. And, and so that, that's another big part of it is we all know to do something that you like, but until you actually sit down and quantify like what your desires are, what things you can do long-term or what the risk reward is, you know, like you saying, okay, if I can't do more than 22 grand, like I'm not really trying, it was probably more just the concept that was scary than the actual risk. Right. Right. And I think that's what applies, what applies to most of us. Now, some listeners might be going, Oh, okay. Jason Damon. Well, yeah, this was before you had kids. Well, I got kids now and housing is way more expensive. And I, I, you're hundred percent right. And I get that. But what I would say to that is it's not going to get any better. Right. So you need to calculate your risk. I mean, your kids aren't going away. Your mortgage responsibilities aren't going away, but there, there's always going to be something that you can say, okay, is that really, how do I adjust my priorities around that? I mean, the cliche example is going to be, do you watch Netflix for an hour every night? Right. That's something, nothing wrong with doing that. But if you prioritize what your desires are versus what you're willing to sacrifice, that's probably a good example of something that you can give up for a little while. So you, you want to look at where your, which, well, I mean, what are your goals? Like, and, and those goals change for me. The example I gave is it was cool just to be self-employed for the first year. And then after that, it was like, okay, well, what can I do next? That's fulfilling. And how can I grow this? And then now that I've gone through all those phases, We've gone from the 15 to 60 employees this year because now I'm comfortable with everything. I, I'm not, there, there's nothing that scares me anymore. There, there's nothing in the way other than myself. And so figure out like where you want to be, but then also be okay with changing what that answer is over time. Yeah. Is there a pathway? Usually at this point, I would ask you, was there a turning point? You just gave us that 
turning point. So thank you for beating me to that. Uh, I can give you a good story on a turning point. I love that. Yeah. Um, So where uh, part of part of the point where I said it was 80% of my, my day job, but only 50% of my income. Um, the, the company I was working for was in Las Vegas and I was in Utah. I had just quit working for this gentleman. He was super successful, but he was really toxic. He'd make, you know, he'd gross one to $2 million a month. He had one part-time secretary. I was his only full-time employee and he paid me 12, 15 an hour. Now I didn't have any complaints about the pay back then. Um, but, but I bring that up more because to kind of illustrate the mentality of the value that this person, the lack of value that this person would show to his team. And there was things like, I remember around Christmas, we were supposed to have our company party and, and he ended up, you know, it, it was, Hey, let's go to this cool nightclub. And we're going to, we have this VIP table and this and that and we get there and he ditches us for his friends. And then, um, and then for the Christmas bonus, he didn't pay it. And one of the other employees, by then we added a couple more employees. One of the other employees complained and he walks in and throws a stack of cash on the table. And he's like, there's your Christmas bonus and walked out. Right. So it was like super toxic. So I leave this guy, but at the time I did really niche um, landing page design. So this other gentleman found out that I left. He calls me up and says, Hey, basically do you want a job? Um, Because it's yours if you say yes, but he worked in Vegas and I didn't, knowing that I was going to have a family at some point, that wasn't an environment that I wanted to raise a family. And so he allowed me to stay working at home. Now, while working for this guy, everything was, you know, digital. And so we'd all communicate through AOL instant messenger. Nice. And um, <laughs> one day I'm trying to get a hold of everybody and nobody was answering. And then one of the other designers that was in the Philippines messages me and he says, Hey, sir, did you hear? And I said, did I hear what? Like what's going on? And they got shut down and raided by the FTC, the ATF, like all this crazy stuff. So the guy that owned the company got in trouble for not that business, but the business before it. And so they came in and just shut everything down. So that was the catalyst where I went, hmm, if I just give this all up now, the day job, is it worth the risk? And so that was the catalyst that made me go, okay this seems like a calculated risk. Do I, do I go get a job, another job, or do I wait to see if I get a paycheck from these guys and things come, you know, come back out. And later that day, I got a hold of one person. I called like 10 people, got a hold of one of them. And he said, yeah, don't worry about it. We'll, we'll get your paycheck and you know, we'll figure this out. Never got the paycheck, never heard from anybody again. So, you know, looking back, it was the right move for multiple reasons on the, on the small end. It was, you know, nothing ever came of the, of the other opportunity, but then now here I am with a successful agency with freedom of time. Yeah. Let, let's take a moment and go into part of the specialty here. Uh, and I say this, having read your book on search engine optimization, can you give us the reference for that? What's the name of that book? Um, Outrank, uh, freeseobook.com. Are we on video here? We are, we are on video. Oh, look at that. <laughs> Show notes at jasonlinette.com as well, of course, for, for links and details. If you could kind of sum up the the answer to the question as to where is it that most people are approaching search engine optimization badly? What, what are the common mistakes that people are making when they're trying to dive into this? Realistic uh, perception of the processes. Yeah. A big part is... Facebook ads and Google ads has, has created an unrealistic um, desire for instant gratification. 
And so what happens is with paid ads, and there's nothing wrong with paid ads, um, that there's just advantages and disadvantages. There, there's also disadvantages to SEO. Um, but it's not a zero sum game. You know, if, if one is driving profit and another is driving profit, then there's no reason to, to, to do multiples, to not do multiples. But what, what's happened is with paid ads, it's like, oh, I can put a dollar in and I get $2 out. That's pretty nice. And so then with SEO, it's, it's a lot different. It's you put a dollar in and you get nothing out. Then you put a dollar in and you get nothing out again. Then you put it all in and you get $5,000 out. Right. So it's scalable, but at a different cadence. And fortunately for me, we built up enough of a reputation, but that the majority of the people that talk to us know that. And so we don't have to go through the educational process a lot with the types of leads that we attract, but as an industry as a whole, it's, it's definitely something that people that are new to SEO find, um, you know, interesting to, to understand and digest. So expectations are, are definitely one of the biggest things. And for agency owners, whether you do SEO or anything else, I touched on earlier expectations, setting expectations is something that I'm going to talk about a lot. And, and I really mean that. So when we're on lead calls, I tell them, here are the pros and cons of SEO in the contract. I say, this is going to take time. Don't sign this paper unless you want to commit to at least a year in the follow-up boarding calls. I say, just a reminder, here's what's going to happen in months one and two, and you're not going to get any return for probably until months nine through 12. And then I send him a copy of my book. When I wrote the book, there's a whole chapter that's on the expectations of SEO. There's another whole chapter that's on, here's the questions to identify the good and the bad guys in SEO. So with SEO, you're looking for who can speak transparently. So in, in our welcome kits, we send out, I send out you know, the, the, a little thank you and a copy of my book and stuff like that. But I print a whole page that says, don't get in your own way. Mm -hmm. Don't, don't, you know, micro analyze all the little dot, you know, dotting the I's and the T's of these things, expecting accelerated expectations. This is a long-term play. Um, so I think that's, that's beneficial to any business. Like you, that, that helps me attract a better audience. It helps me educate them, which helps them help me drive a better product and drive them a better return. So in whatever you do, you can't go wrong by overly setting expectations. I flash to you know the question as to what are people's buying processes sometimes. So specific example, here's a set of swim goggles that I was suddenly seeing Facebook ads for. And I had never bought something like that. So then I'm going on to Google, I'm doing searches, I'm finding these other posts. So not everybody is going to be that linear buyer that's going directly from ad to purchase. There's people who are going to do their due diligence, do a bit of research, find out, wow, here's all these raving fans of it. Okay, here we go. And then, of course, these guys were just on Shark Tank a few weeks ago. The company is uh, the Magic Five, where you scan your face with your phone mm -hmm. and they build the goggles for your face, which the nice validation was, oh, cool. They leak on my wife's face, but not mine. They're really made for my face. Yeah. I wasn't just sold a promise that. So now she's not going to, they weren't just shipping everyone the same goggles. Cause I did have that concern for a moment, <laughs> but looking at how, you know, I'm sure in their early stages of it, here was this organic build that was going on. So really, you know, the infrastructure behind it is always the term that I'd think of that, Yes, people are going to see the ad, but sometimes that ad 
you know, you brought up the dating metaphor earlier. Sometimes that ad is just the, you know, meeting for coffee. Mm-hmm. Meanwhile, they're going to do their own search. They're going to do their own interaction. Uh, is there a story though, of even surprising yourself with that speed in which something was picked up by the search engines and then just, you know, skyrocketed? Yes. Um, but before I talk about the speed, so don't let me forget to answer the speed is, um, you bring up a good point in, in a lot, a lot of people think that SEO, um, is about that linear buy, which, which it can be right. That's obviously the home run, but you bring up a great point that a lot of times it can be the, the deal closer. So you may run paid ads and that gets you in front of the buyer, but SEO converts them. So they might go like with, with the, with a goggles example, you illustrated that you went and then searched around. And, and that's a great example because somebody may go, oh, I saw this thing, but are they legit? Or I want to know more. And so then they go through this educational process where they start looking up things and then they find reviews and then they find, you know, are you a subject matter expert? And so the, there's a lot of opportunity for SEO, ideally to be the sell, but in a lot of times it can be the conversion too. speed. Yes. Um, so these examples are always super cool because back to the expectations thing, I always tell clients like, look, don't even start unless you can mentally commit to a year. Now, the reason behind the year concept is because there's logistics behind how long it takes to fix issues on the website. Does it load quickly? Is it mobile friendly? Does it have content? Is the content good? And then you have the ongoing content strategy. You do blogs, you do graphics, you do videos, and it just takes time to create and distribute those. Now, If the client has a historical website, a lot of times there are really cool wins that that we can pull off because they they have educational material out there. They have content. It's just structured really poorly. The website loads slow. It's not mobile friendly. So we can go in there and I'll give you two examples. Um, One client is only, um, I'm trying to generalize this. so I don't explain who they are because I want to talk about like sensitive information. Um, So one of them is like a retail product in the health space. Um, and so they, they've increased their traffic by 160% in two months. And that's largely just from structure updates. Then we had another client who is in the, the raw goods, building materials industry. They increased 750 grand in revenue in three months. So now that's what you want to look at when you talk about SEO is like, what's the return? Because every, you can always tell kind of the newbies, and uh, how they interpret the value in SEO because they go, oh crap, I got to pay three to $5,000 or however much a month and I'm not going to get anything for six to 12 months. Yeah, that is 100% correct. But do you want the million dollars later next year? You know, I have one client that they've been with us forever, about 15 years. Um, when they started, they were doing 80,000 a year in online revenue for organic sales. And now they do $1.2 million a month. Nice. Same thing took them, you know, a year or so to, to kick in, but it's, it's like an investment. I mean, if we want to be super cliche, it's like your 401k or whatever you, you put in the money, you don't get a huge return, but the compounding interest once it kicks in, is just like free money. Well, that's a conversation. There's an online workshop that we've been running and the dialogue was around just simply getting started, putting content out there. That's going to be valuable, having it point to where you want it to point to. And somehow this branched into the dialogue. And these are like oddly specific things over in the hypnosis industry where my line was, I should not own I'm number one on YouTube for this because this is not my specialty. <laughs> yeah. I can yeah. list six people who should have that number one spot. 
but somehow it's mine because I put up this video that's an hour and 45 minutes and mm-hmm. people are watching the entire thing. I, I wouldn't, but here, here's where it is. So that mindset, so kind of going in the other direction, if you had to give some specific recommendations as to what sh- people should be focusing on in terms of getting found, what would those recommendations be? So, so focus on the buyer intent, just like you were saying, because you'd rather have seven out of 10 people convert than one out of a thousand. So quit looking at the vanity metrics. We do it on social media. We look at our likes, we look at our everything, right? And and pretty much nearly anywhere, you should completely ignore vanity metrics. Yeah. They look attractive. <laughs> They're deceiving. Well, you know, I, I moved back in May and going into the bank to qualify for the new mortgage. It's like, well, here are my YouTube views. <laughs> yeah. They wouldn't take it. So no. we, we call that internet rich. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. So I mean, focus on where you can make the biggest impact or get 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 the quickest path to monetization. And so, you know, how do you do that on your own? Is I would always tell people to start with with content because it is the less the the least technical, right? You don't have to get into page speed and mobile friendliness and code and HTML and this and that. Now, if you know those things, then then work on the page speed first because that's usually a quick win. You can use something like gtmetrics.com. It's a, it's a free website and I'll tell you very specifically what is delaying the load on your website. Mm-hmm. Now, the reason why that matters is because you just need to make Google look good. They don't want to send somebody to a website that is a painful experience or bad user experience, not mobile friendly or is a slow page load because we all hate that. And so then that makes Google look bad for them sending you there. So if you know any technical stuff or you know somebody that can just make some page speed improvements, that's that's an easy win. Now, after that, you're an expert in something. You started a business because you're, you're passionate or you know it really well in and out. So talk about that stuff. Now, the next one of the next comments I usually get is, well, writing sucks. And I agree. It sucks. So, you know, how do you get around that? Well, you can start with maybe doing a selfie video. And then what you do after that is you can throw it in um, like Descript.com or Rev.com, and then that'll transcribe it. There you go. You have a 90% completed article. What you do is you take the transcription, polish it up, improve the spelling and grammar, make it more formal, and then you're done. So there's like all these different ways where you can take assets or find um, a more convenient way that aligns with your personality to get that content out there. Because you can only show up on search engines for what they can read. That's a huge point that, you know, as soon as we started doing uh, the show notes for the other podcasts that I do, here's this massive library that's now online. Um, Mm -hmm. We're still catching up to the transcriptions that you and I talked about a couple of months ago, (laughs) but just to have all this content there. So there's actually something to see where, you know, for the most part, Google isn't crawling through your video, isn't looking at your, your image. You've got to actually let it know what's actually behind that. Yeah, like it'll take its best educated guess, but videos aren't words. Right. Images aren't words. So it has to work a little harder. And even even if it does do that, it's it's just making an educated guess. So when you can put it into written word, written word loads way quicker than video. So there's the technical benefit of speed. And then there's also the literal interpretation of the content. It's a lot easier for Google to say, well, word A is word A. Instead of, you know, uh, does in this video, does this person have an accent? Is the volume high or low? Did I really interpret that correctly? And there's there there's error for, there's a possibility for misinterpretation. So what, what Jason and I talked about, you know, you transcribe your, your videos and then like maybe one brief comment um, for the listeners that maybe are on the more technical side, then you go to, to schema. 
So if you're not familiar with what schema is, it's a way to tell Google what the content is. Mm -hmm. So the written word is more easier to interpret than video. And then written word marked up and structured data, it's called schema. It's just like little things you put around it in the code that say, Hey, you don't have to guess that this is a podcast, Google. I'm telling you very specifically that this is Jason Lynette's podcast. Damon Burton is the guest. Here's the publication date. Here's the topics we talked about. And so then Google more, more trusts that content because you went out of your way to put in the time to clearly communicate the context of whatever that content is. So then it's going to A, read it, and now B, trust it more and amplify the visibility of it. Nice. Before we wrap up here, uh, one of the reasons I wanted to have you on is the way that you have built a universe around yourself on social media in a very organic, very natural way that we really get that slice of life as to you know, as to who you are, uh, what you believe in, uh, wins for your clients, wins for your staff. And it's always done in a very non-salesy way, as well as the occasional story that um, you know, you posted something recently about turning down a company just because they weren't in alignment with your values. Mm -hmm. Could you talk through just what's behind that strategy and you know, maybe even some of how that came to be? Yeah, it actually came to be um, in a in a in a very intentional way with very specific timestamps that I recall because it's it's actually fairly new. So I've had my agency for fifteen years, and I would say this online strategy is only about two years old, actually probably literally two years old. Cause as the time we're recording this, it's November and it was in November that, that I made this pivot. And so what had happened was at the time I had a very hard line between family and work and I still do, but, but I changed one thing. So back then it was, no, I will not accept any friend requests from clients or leads. Like this is my personal space. Uh, and I was okay with that. And I knew that there'd be some opportunity lost, but then I tell you that because it wasn't, I, I just wasn't using social media with any in, intentional for any intentional reason, nothing crazy happened. Um, but as we all know, it's just kind of a waste of time. There's some drama you see. And so I just said, this is, I don't have any productive reason to use this. So at the time I only had Facebook, um, and I had LinkedIn, but it was, some outdated resume from whatever job I had years before. I didn't use it for content. And so at that time I, I, I deleted Facebook. Now we all know that when you delete Facebook, it doesn't really go away. Right. So I went to the next level. <laughs> my, my wife bless her because I said, Hey, I just want to, I just want to wipe this out. And she's always known about my, me being a little more in tune with online privacy and things like that. And so I said, look, when you delete Facebook, it doesn't go away. So I want to delete Facebook. And so she logged in and it took her three weeks. She manually deleted every post I'd ever made, every comment I'd ever made on anybody else's post, manually unfriended every person I'd ever connected with and manually deleted every private message that I had. So I literally wiped everything out. So then I... So, so then I deactivated it. And so there's my profile that doesn't really go away, but now there's nothing on it anyway. And then what happened, it was about two months and I had maybe the one friend that was a friend first and then became a client that I used to talk to on Facebook. And now I can't. And so then I started to say, well, I'm missing that opportunity. I mean, that's not really detrimental, but what other opportunities am I missing? So at that moment I said, why can't I do social media my way? And, and I didn't know what my way meant, but I was willing to figure it out. 
So then I turned back on Facebook um, and then I started to re-add, you know, who I could remember. Um, I got up to like two or 300 people. I don't know who the other 1200 people are that I'm missing. I don't know who, where they came from, but I had, <laughs> but I added who I, who I could remember. Right. And then I said, well, why don't I, why don't I do this on LinkedIn too? Why don't I start building LinkedIn? And for me specifically LinkedIn, because it's more business oriented and I offer a B2B service. And then I started posting and going like the balance I had to figure out was I still wanted to maintain that privacy for my wife and kids, but I also really like my wife and kids. So I like talking about them. So how do I talk about my personal life while not alienating my business audience and vice versa? How do I talk about business with not alienating, uh, you know, the personal side of my audience? And then how do I talk about my wife and kids without sharing identifiable information about my kids? And so I went through this process of going, okay, let's, let's just figure it out. Let's just do the dance and figure out what my voice is. And there'd be things that I'd post and I'd say, yeah, that's the type of thing where um, I don't think I can, I could consistently talk about that topic. Um, and so I'd kind of eliminate that. Um, or I really liked talking about how to help other people in business. So let's talk more about that. And then I found a balance where I was able to talk about both of them in a way that was truly me because I didn't want to do it just for vanity metrics. I wanted to do it for a purpose and to grow visibility, but not from the vanity side. So then, you know, one example on the privacy side with my kids is like, I like talking about, I mean, Jason can, Jason can back this up, but I like talking about my wife and kids. But now that you know this, as you see, well, just this morning, I posted about my daughter and it's a real picture. I didn't stage it. I'm not like, Hey, turn around so I can catch the back of your head. But those are the pictures in retrospect that I go, I want to talk about how the cute thing my daughter did this morning, what real picture do I already have? And then figuring out how I can present that and share that story in a real way. And so like one example was last year when it was snowing, I took the kids sledding and I want to talk about how much fun I had. And so then I, I went through my pictures and there was one of me like that I sent to my wife where it's like, I'm doing a, a selfie and the kids are off in the distance. So that's a real picture in the real moment. But, but then I protect my kids identity because you can't see them in the background. So I had to figure out what that dance was now to come full circle and how this turned into value is it took about three months to feel comfortable in balancing personal and business. And then what happened is I started to get leads out of it. And here's, what's funny is the, the people now follow me for my business and SEO expertise, but they convert on the personal stuff. You know, yeah. you had talked about the billion dollar client that I turned down. I turned them down. They're an awesome company. I would love to do business with them, but I turned them down because there was like this nine page single line, 10 point font agreement that just had like, it was just, it, it was just um, too, too suppressive. Right. And so I knew that there wouldn't be enough creative control needed to drive them a return. So part of it was just being honest. Like, I don't think within these constraints, we can drive you a return, but the bigger driver was, I just don't want that relationship. I don't want to deal with that type of client. And so what I posted about was, Hey, you know, stand your ground. Yeah. The money's attractive. Yeah. Putting their logo on my portfolio would be amazing. Um, But, but it wouldn't, provide happiness. Right. And, and you know, what's funny is I ended that post by saying, I guarantee by the end of the year, I'll be posting about another billion dollar client that comes in the better alliance. I haven't posted this yet, but it took two days, nice. two days later, I got it. <laughs> so the first lead was a $4.4 billion company. Second lead is $11.1 billion. And guess what he converted on 
a post, not, not the post about me declining a billion dollar company, but, but a day or two later was a post along the same topic where it's like, um, Hey, I had to turn down a lead for, for a different reason. Um, because we're doubling our rates. I need to focus on clients that we can drive a return for at a larger scale. And that I like doing business with, and it's, it's painful to turn away people that, you know, you can help, but for one reason or another, you just can't prioritize. And this guy sent me a message and he said, Hey, that was really cool. What you posted about protecting your time with your, with your family and your interests, by the way, here's the company I'm from. Can you tell us what you can do for us? So when, when I first started this, it took about three months to get comfortable by nine month mark, I quantified the return and it had driven an extra 150 grand in contracts just from social media. And I haven't quantified it since then because that was clearly enough to go, okay, this is worth it, but it's exponentially more than that now. That is that is beautiful to hear the insights of that because I often hear, here's the person who wants to put everything up. And then here's the person who's going, no, I don't want anyone seeing that. And clearly there, there is a balance in terms of how we can navigate that conversation. So thank you for sharing that. Uh, I do owe it to you to ask you one last question here. <laughs> Uh, which is that when I send a scheduling link over, I ask, what would you like to talk about? And I'll give you a choice because you responded beards and haters. Yeah. So well, that was mostly just for you, but I know. <laughs> 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 well, the, the beard conversation was more that people have been putting your face on things. Um, let's talk about the haters. Cause anytime, and especially branching off of this social conversation Anytime we're putting something out there to a visible audience, to say it politely or impolitely, there's going to be trolls. There's going to be people with opinions who my take on it is just kind of want to push to see if they can get a rise out of you. What, what's kind of your attitude around that moment where you do post something and here comes some negative commentary? I think that, so you're right that people push to get a rise, but I think the bigger reason is their own insecurities. Mm -hmm. And so it's, it's an interesting position to be in because, um, you, you have to make a sacrifice in yourself, knowing that you're going to attract, it's just a numbers game, right? It, that not everybody's going to agree with you. I'm, I'm pretty fortunate that everything I talk about is, is pretty optimistic. It's really hard for somebody to misinterpret it and go, ah, let's make a negative comment, but it happens. What was interesting is, is, um, I think when we were scheduling this, why haters was so top of mind is because I made a post, um, that talked about, it, it was such an interesting week because I had like two or three posts that went viral. And with that virality came haters just by, by numbers exposure. But the first one was really bizarre because it was me talking about, um, you know, how much I appreciate my wife and we've been, you know, married for 15 years now. And my nickname for my wife is hottie. Like I literally call her hottie and, and we've, we've done this. We've, so we've been married 15 years, but we've been together for 17 years. So when we first started dating in my phone, her name was my hot girlfriend. And then when we got engaged, it was my hot fiance. And then now it's my hot wife. And so for her, it was my hot boyfriend. But what was funny is like, we're talking like old phones, razors and stuff like that. So there's a character limitation. Yeah. So my nickname is hot Huss because there wasn't enough characters to put husband. <laughs> <laughs> so we like, this is a thing that's me and my, me and my wife seeing is we, we say hot, this hot, that or hottie. So in my post, I said, Hey, here's this cool thing, whatever. Um, and like a little side comment and here's my super hot wife. And 
99% of the, the replies were positive. There was this one guy that said, why do men always have to find it a necessity to have some sort of sexual reference to their wife's physical attractiveness? And I, and I wrote him back and I was very, you know, PC in my reply. I'll give the benefit of the doubt in the first reply because he may have misinterpreted me and I very likely may have misinterpreted him. And, and so my reply was, Oh no, no, there's a backstory. I call her hottie. And, um, you know, if I wanted, my wife is very literally attractive and, and I could exploit that and have her be the, you know, the bikini person in the background and take advantage of that. But that's, that has nothing to do with it. Like all my pictures of my wife are just, you know, her normal mom gear. <laughs> and I, I call her hottie not to exploit her physical attractiveness. It's just her name. And then he wrote back some weird defensive thing that's where he still held his ground. And then everybody else here, here's what's an interest. Here's what's an interesting side note is when you're authentic in who you are, you attract the people that appreciate you for those things you're authentic about. So then my tribe came and fought for me. Like, I don't even know half the people that came in the comments, but they came out of the woodwork because they followed me and they've, they've identified, they've aligned with certain characteristics of my personality and they came to my defense and, and said, no, 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 you're wrong guy. And here's why. And, and so, was, so that was like the first hater that week. And then the second hater was, um, I made a post about sharing some wins with some of my client wins. And I said, Hey, they've gone from this much to this much. And a guy came back and said, you know, you shouldn't post dollar. He, he was really mad that I used a dollar sign. And he said, you shouldn't use a dollar sign in your, he said, you shouldn't use a dollar sign in your post because it just implies like get rich quick schemes. And so I wrote back and I said, I don't know what you're talking about, but like the data is right here. It was, it was a picture of analytics that literally showed the increase. Right. Yeah. And his reply was, well, not everybody's going to fall for that game. You know, me and a lot of other people are very analytical and look at the data. And I'm like, okay, so you're <laughs> I'm just, showing you analytical data. Yeah, <laughs> like you just said. And so, you know, he fell off the map and then there was a third guy. I can't remember the post um, or what the context was, but it, it was something else about relationships and, and whatever it was, just really, you know, I said, haters usually um, reflect their insecurities. Mm -hmm. And so for me, what I interpreted in those haters was the one guy has a lot of financial insecurities, right? He, he's scared and he doesn't, he doesn't want to believe that's really possible because that means he's doing something wrong because he hasn't achieved it. And so it's his own insecurity. And then the other guy that was talking about my wife, you know, he's clearly got relationship insecurities and it just kind of comes with the territory and I don't know, that's it. That's all I got. Haters. It's where, it you know, the, the, what, what we're hearing inside of this. And I've, I share the same dialogue around there's this sense of resiliency because meanwhile, here's clearly the people who are the raving fans. Here are the people whose lives you've impacted. Here are the businesses you've clearly helped to grow. And there's going to be occasionally the person with an opinion, but we have to put that focus on that greater good that can be created and not let that one voice become a reason why we don't do something. Yeah. I mean, it, it stings sometimes. Um, e even when you know it shouldn't. Yeah. Well, I meant what I said and you can just deal with it. So uh, what I, <laughs> no, uh, Damon, I want to thank you so much for joining us and especially sharing some of the startup as well as some of the bigger picture, uh, you know, passion that's inside so much of this. How can people best get in contact with you? How can they track you down? Yeah, I'm most active on LinkedIn and Facebook. Um, and then if you want to 
kind of get some more insights into the world of SEO, or maybe you want to tackle it on your own, you can go grab a copy of my book. It's freeseobook.com. There's no upsell or anything. Thank you, Paige. We'll invite you to our Facebook group and that's it. Awesome. Any final thoughts for the listeners out there? Um, thank you for addressing the most important topic of my beard. Uh, maybe next time I'll talk more about it. You've been listening to the Hypnotic Language Hacks podcast with Jason Lenat. And hey, let's hang out. We have an incredible free community online with weekly live training events that I'd love for you to join. Your free private pass is available right now at joininfluencegroup.com. If you want exclusive access to a thriving community ready to help your business grow, this is the place for you. Because every week, you will be surrounded by coaches and course creators at the top of their game, leveling up their success with hypnotic influence for business. Join us today at joininfluencegroup.com. Dot com.